Welcome to the Biopractica Professional Podcast Series. Biopractica is an Australian-owned, practitioner-only brand focusing on nutritional and herbal products proven to play a role in preventative medicine. Biopractica is committed to supporting healthcare professionals in developing their knowledge and skills so they can confidently and effectively tackle the major health challenges facing their patients today. To support this commitment, the Learning Hub was established by Biopractica to offer practitioners a collection of educational resources so they can stay informed on the latest in health science research. Hello and welcome everyone or welcome back if you are one of our wonderful regular listeners. I am Claire Murray and today we are going to be chatting about why strain specificity is important when we are wanting the best results from our probiotics for our patients. As usual, I am here with my wonderful and ever knowledgeable co-host. Hello, Paul. How are you going? Hello, Claire, and hello, everyone. Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Very well, and uh, glad to be uh, having another chat with you and uh, Mm. hopefully bring some really good, useful information to the people who are out there in our listener land. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, though, I think this exactly as you said just then, I think this will be a really useful podcast in being a really good overview on this topic of strain specificity for those people that might have come across it before, learnt about it, but it's been a couple of years and you kind of want to refresh or you're realising that it's really important or the concept is new to you. This is going to be like a nice, concise resource to kind of hash this all out and then hopefully you can end up at the end of this podcast with a few really good take-homes that you can then take into mm-hmm. clinic because I feel like this message is slowly kind of trickling down mm-hmm. to the general public and to patients, but I think we've still got a bit of a way to go there. And, you know, it kind of all starts with us as practitioners doing that education job that we just do so well. Mm-hmm. So let's jump in. Strain specificity. Why mm-hmm. is it imperative that we are prescribing probiotics which have been defined on that strain level? Mm-hmm. Look, I, I think to sort of answer that, I, I, I want to take a step back in time. Five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when, when you know, probiotics became a, a lot more of a, I'll call it a thing. People knew that there was good gut bacteria. And, you know, people sort of just said there's good bacteria for your gut. Oh, lactobacilli. Yep. That's all you need if you want to have mm. a healthy gut. And it was just seen that as long as you've got some kind of lactobacilli, we'll say as a supplement, or if you got some from maybe some yogurt you were eating, that you were going to have a healthy gut and so many health problems would simply disappear. <laughs> and, you know, what we know though is that there are different strains. And so when we then look at if we want a specific effect, we need to understand the strain. We can't just say there's good gut bacteria or there's lactobacilli, which is good for the gut, or bifido that's good for the gut. We need to look at the strain level. But to really simply, very simply answer your question before I dive a bit deeper back in again, is because if we prescribe on a strain level and that strain has been well-researched, we can actually prescribe with some certainty of the clinical 
outcomes. But look, let's go back to what exactly does sort of strain mean? So I'm going to go back yes. to our uh, our taxonomic our taxonomic sorry classifications mm-hmm. specifically in this point of course of bacteria, not our taxonomic classifications of plants even though of course, mm. you know, they they all roll into one once you're looking at that classification level. So, what we have is uh, when we look at things like bacteria, they are defined on firstly something called a phylum level, then a class level, then an order, then the family, then the genus, species, and then the actual strain. So, there's all of these different levels of classification. And I know so many of the listeners would have heard that, you know, the two main strains that create the population numbers within the human digestive tract tend to be firmicutes and bacterioides. You might go, oh, okay. Well, they are so many levels above when we're talking a species like a lactobacilli. So, if, if you are, you know, when we say firmicutes, firmicutes is divided up into three primary classes and clostridia is one of the classes or Clostridia, sorry, Neg- <laughs> Negativicutes, uh, there's bacilli. <laughs> it's going to get real tricky with some of these. Um, but, and, you know, and, and we sort of go through what the Firmicutes are. And eventually, you know, we, we do know that some of the bacilli, lactobacilli is one of those. And then, though, even under the lactobacilli, which is the, uh, is the order as such, the family of lactobacilli isn't necessarily lactobacillus. We then have lactobaciliacea. We have entrococcacea. Um, you know, we also have under the, um, you know, some of the other ones, you know, there's valinellas and things like that as well. So there's all these different classifications. But I guess the point that I really want to get to is that we do need to get down to the actual, not just the species, because of course, how many forms of lactobacilli are there? There are a mm. lot of lactobacilli and we can't just say, oh yes, you need some lactobacilli for your gut. Well, what kind of lactobacilli precisely is that? Is it lactobacilli acidophilus? Is it lactobacilli paracasei? Is it lactobacilli mm. salivarius? Is it lactobacilli reuteri? There's so mm. many different uh, species and then the different actual strains themselves. So, you know, I'll use the um, lactobacilli or lactobacillus reuteri as an example. The species is the lactobacilli reuteri. And people go, oh, I need L. reuteri. I've heard that's good for my patient. But the strains are so different. There's the DSM-17938. There's the ATCC PTA-6475. Both of them are L. reuteri. And, you know, for example, on that strain level, the strain of the DSM-17938 L. reuteri produces a lot more of a substance called uh, metabolic or metabolizes and produces something called reuterin. And it produces vast amounts more than the L. reuteri ATCC PTA6475 strain. So the point being that we really need to get down to a strain level because then you can actually truly understand what effect, what impact that that actual probiotic can have on an individual because we we know exactly, and as I said, I'll use that example of Reuterin from the L. Reuteri strain, that one strain can produce, you know, tenfold more of a mm. healthy microbial metabolite than another mm. one. But if we just call them L. Reuteri, then it's just both L. Reuteri and they're not going to behave the same. And so that, I think, 
you know, I've, I've tried to explain why, therefore, yes, we should be defining things on a strain level because it helps us understand, helps us choose the right, the exact probiotic for an exact problem. So, yes, that's great. I feel like a way that we could kind of sum that up is to say that research scientists agree now with the level of evidence that we have compared to what we had 10, 15 years ago, that not mm. all probiotics are the same. Absolutely. That Absolutely. one probiotic could be doing, you know, at the same species level can be doing something vastly different to another. It will therefore have a completely different body of evidence. And so we want to make sure that if we have a particular presentation for a patient that we're picking mm. the right strain for mm -hmm the job i suppose in a little bit of a way it's it's not it's a bit more crude but if we think about our herbal actions you know if we have five herbs for oh, i don't know a headache one mm -hmm. is going to be better for this type of headache and then another mm -hmm. one's going to be better for this type of headache. It's kind of getting mm -hmm. down to that kind of finessed experienced level, isn't it, mm -hmm. where you know, mm -hmm. oh, my patient has this presentation and my traditional mm -hmm. evidence more so with my herbs show me that I need to be using this one for this more kind of like hot presentation versus mm -hmm. this more kind of chronic cold, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's the exact same kind of mindset or way of prescribing that we then need to be using with our probiotics as well. So, you know, I guess in regards to the herbs, for example, and the headaches, are some caused by vasodilation or vasoconstriction? Because you mm. actually use a different herb depending on what the actual cause possibly is. And, you know, I also think in regards that things like lemon balm, absolutely fantastic. But we know that, you know, lemon balm is for those digestive disorders which are often, you know, worsened by stress, worsened by mm. anxiety, those sorts of things that work better than some of the other herbs. So, it, you know, strain specificity really lets us choose the right one for the right problem. But the other thing that strain specificity does, which I do think is important because it ties into the research, is what amount of a specific probiotic do you need to give? And mm. that, you know, strain specificity – is where they've actually sort of done different studies and they know that it is this specific strain of probiotic at this specific amount of CFU colony forming units that will give mm. this specific result. And and that's really, for me, I think, and for so many practitioners, it's about being able to make an informed choice and, and be not guaranteed but pretty sure of what outcome you will and should get, and then you can tweak your treatment from there as required. Yes. Well, I think that leads us really nicely into this next resource that we want to mm -hmm. highlight to people and then, you know, you can kind of take us through. There is a, a leading body that's really attempting to kind of educate people and practitioners on probiotics, probiotics, and this exact kind of strain specificity topic, mm -hmm. and they're really trying to champion it. That body is called ISAP. There might be a few practitioners listening familiar with it. That stands for International Scientific Association for Prebiotics and Probiotics, ISAP. Mm -hmm. And they have this brilliant resource. You could easily print it out, give it to your patients or email it, mm. you know, to them with their treatment if they're kind of trying to wrap their head around this too, you know, if they've been maybe mm -hmm. picking up a generic probiotic from the health food store mm. and you're like, no, we need to be like way mm -hmm. more targeted with this for what we're trying to achieve. They yep. have um, a resource called a probiotic checklist. It's very easily accessed on their website. We can hopefully try and link to it in our show notes or, you know, it's somewhere. Mm -hmm. This checklist has five key points on it that you want to be mm -hmm. going through when you're picking a probiotic, whether you're a practitioner or 
even patient or general public. So do you want to take us through those? Sure, absolutely. And and I like this because, you know, when you actually see the checklist, it says making a smart selection. Uh, Not all products labeled as probiotic are true probiotics. And then it's really simple because it starts with, you you know, is it a true probiotic as such? Number one, is it backed by science? Is there scientific papers and scientific evidence pointing to the actual health benefits of that specific probiotic? Now, remember, I want to go back to what we're talking about. The, the strain matters at this point, you know. Mm. And you know, I'll, I'll talk about L. Reuteri again only because I do discuss it a fair bit. There's an L. Reuteri strain, which is, you know, often people say it's used for, for example, vaginal health. And once again, it's still an L. Reuteri, but it isn't the DSM 17938 specifically. It's an RC14. Mm. So, you know, we need to look at where mm. is the science. And to look at the science, you need to know the strain. The other things that they look at on this probiotic checklist, firstly, is it backed by science? Secondly, is it provided in an effective dose? So once again, though, you this is why you need something defined on the strain level because then you can look at the research on that strain and see if the amount in the product you're going to prescribe is regarded as an effective dose in the scientific literature. You know, the next point is, does it provide the benefit that, you know, a, a practitioner or a patient themselves might actually be seeking because, as we've said before, different strains uh, can have different benefits. Then next one is, you know, is it labelled properly? So, you know, mm-hmm. does it actually have on the label the genus, species and the strain for every single one of those, you know, microbes in the product? Or does it say something like lactobacilli SPP, which stands for lactobacilli species, which means yeah. it could be any range of lactobacilli and and may well not be one that has a specific therapeutic effect. It does also then go on to say with the labeling, aside from looking for genus, species, and strain, uh, what, what about the CFU? How many live uh, colony forming units are in there? Is there a suggested dose or serving size? And as I said, once again, when you know the strain, when you look at the papers, you can actually see what is you know, a serving size or a dose that was used and gave a therapeutic effect. And also, when it does come to probiotics, I do want to point out for a long time, used to always be they've got to be kept in the fridge, but there's great technology now that some of these forms won't need refrigeration. But once again, when you're looking at the science behind them, they'll actually usually state that this was a form that was refrigerated or not refrigerated. So, mm. th- there's a there's a number of different things that I think are important. One final point I just want to make in regards to this actual uh, publication or this one page from uh, ISAP is a high-quality effective probiotic does not, and it goes on to say, need to be naturally found in the human gut necessarily. It doesn't need to be able to colonize the human GIT. And that's important because remember, most probiotics don't actually colonize. Mm -hmm. There's something called transient colonization, which we've spoken of before. We might speak about I guess, again, not necessarily in today's podcast. You know, so it doesn't even necessarily need to be coated to survive uh, passage through the stomach. Um, and it certainly doesn't need to be composed of multiple strains. And mm. so I do think this checklist is important and can help people really m- make the best choice for themselves as such, you know, which, which is what we're about, isn't it, Claire? It's about empowering people, be it practitioners, be it end users, be it mm. people who are just interested in their health. 
part of what we try and do in this podcast is is educate and empower people. Yes, and that's exactly it. And I feel like, you know, I'm like listening to you go through this checklist and I'm like, yes, 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 there's so many points. Like, is it backed by science? But with the dose, like I, Mm. I know there are multiple probiotic strains that I can think of right now where it's like at a lower dose, it might be mm. effective at, I don't know, preventing colds or flus or something like that. And mm. then at a higher dose, it's still having that immune activity, but it's going to be doing more of like your immunomodulation for mm. an autoimmune patient. And so you don't mm. want to be giving someone a tenth of the dose if they need, if they're coming to you like for rheumatoid or Hashimoto's mm. or, you know, and you're feeling like you really need to do that gut work. Does it have the strain on the bottle? Does it have the yes. evidence-backed dose in the bottle? Like, I think if you start, if you were to take this this checklist to the health food store, to the pharmacy, mm. it's actually mm. amazing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, maybe it's getting a bit better, but it's mm-hmm. amazing how many products would not meet mm. this checklist. Proper storage conditions as well. You know, there are certain mm. probiotics that are more aligned with being able to be shelf stable. Some aren't. And then... You know, does it? It doesn't need to be coded to survive passage through the stomach. Mm. Like that can really just be a marketing thing. Like most probiotics, mm-hmm. in order to even become a therapeutic product, they kind of have to go through that initial study to show, oh, this this bacteria mm. is naturally resistant to stomach acid. Like which is how you know our gut gets colonized in the first place, and it can make it mm. down into the intestine to exert its effect. So you know they don't mm. normally need this fancy technology to make their way down there. Mm. If they're a true probiotic, they can just do yeah. it. You know, so there's so many elements. I think a really practical take home if you aren't a practitioner listening to this and you are a member of the public or if you're a patient, go to the health food store, even the supermarket aisle mm-hmm. the chemist next time mm-hmm. you're in there pick up a couple of probiotics and see that mm-hmm. do they because the way that you can tell i do want to mention this when you were talking about strain the way mm-hmm. you can tell that something has a strain is that it normally has a funny little code at the end of it mm-hmm. yep. so you know you were talking about the l strains and like the big mouthfuls mm-hmm. of dsm 17 you know that come after that you yep. don't need to know them off by heart but if something no. is at the genus and species level it will say like lactobacillus ruteri but then there'll be a little code at the end that's mm-hmm. the strain mm-hmm. that's what yes. you're going to be looking for and if it doesn't that's have right. that then you know you got to be asking questions at that point uh, absolutely and and uh, i think you know I, I know i laugh when i say this is my 30th year of practice because people always say oh you're still practicing are you uh <laughs> so, well i haven't got it right just yet but <laughs> that you know uh, being in practice, we want some level of certainty, and that is what strain specificity gives us: is some level of certainty. And that may even mean that we give someone an appropriate strain, and we give it in the therapeutic dose. And there's great scientific data saying that this will help symptom X, Y, Z, whatever that might be. And even if you give them that right probiotic, and then it doesn't d- seem to do anything at all. People go, oh, so the probiotic failed. Well, as a practitioner, I then say, no, I now can pretty much rule out that this might be a gut-associated issue, for example. Do you know what I mean? By Because there's mm-hmm. that research there and I've got the surety by using the right strain, the right CFU or the right you know strength, et cetera, the right dosing, that maybe as a pracky I need to be looking elsewhere. And 
you know, I, I guess for end users, for, for a member of the public as well, that you might say, well, look, I'll see how probiotic goes for a month or two. And that's another thing strain specificity will tell you. How long do you have to dose it for? Yes. That you can at least say, well, I've been on this now for 12 weeks and I have got benefit or I haven't got benefit. And if you haven't, then, you know, stop doing it. You've got to start looking mm. for why else people may have that that symptom or that problem. And, and I think that's, you know, what strain specificity gives you is that certainty in your ability to actually prescribe something, try something and actually evaluate it because – I think you and I have been practitioners long enough to know you can sometimes give people some really well-indicated stuff and it doesn't do anything. Mm. And that just means we have to sort of go back to the drawing board and say, well, what else could be contributing to this or causing this? And mm. strain specificity takes that out of the equation for me. Yeah, I, that think I was just thinking as you were talking, like we have almost like the equivalent of strain specificity in every other area, right? Like if we mm, want to give yeah. someone a mineral, we're like, okay, I know that this mineral is going to have X, Y, Z. You know, it's indicated because there's evidence. And if I use it at this mm-hmm. dose because that's the, you know, there's an evidence base there, let alone for mm. pharmaceutical medications that someone might be prescribed, mm. you know, for all of our herbs, whether it is modern evidence or traditional evidence, it's like there is evidence indicating I should mm. use it for this. And I think as a profession or, you know, even as a scientific kind of body or, or research around this strain specificity conversation, it's like we're having to really try hard because this whole probiotic kind of world industry got developed and didn't have it like the the specificity Mm. that every other element of our practice has and so now we're having to Mm. kind of try and embed that and kind of re-educate our minds around it and I think you know the world that we're in with patients as well like they need a level of surety and that it's a Mm. significant investment in time energy and money for people to do this and like I, I was thinking you know I had a patient who has her daughter's about one now and she started daycare a couple of months ago that now on that classic day daycare mm-hmm. illness roundabout where mm-hmm. the daughter brings it home and then her gets it and then yeah. her husband gets it she's like we're on a three-week rotation I'm due next week mm-hmm. to get it that's a family yep. that is like I can tell you with surety that there is xyz mm-hmm. probiotic strains out there that have specific mm-hmm. bodies of evidence that they are so safe to give kiddos Mm. And that they help to reduce the amount of sick days mm-hmm. that a kid takes mm-hmm. from school or daycare, and that when they mm-hmm. do get sick, the severity of that sickness is reduced. You know, you tell mm. you tell a mum or a parent that you know in that picture mm-hmm. they're like, "Get me six bottles, stat." Like, That's right. Express yep. ship it to my house. Like yep. it's just that yep. surety that you're talking about. You know, whatever mm. the presentation, it's so nice to be offering that to mm. our patients. Mm. And if you were just to send them to the shop to get a probiotic, they might get a probiotic, but it may or may not have that effect. And they might say, well, my nat- the naturopath said I should get probiotics, but they didn't do anything at all. And it's because mm. it wasn't, I'll say, prescribed necessarily at that strain level where there is that data for it as well. But the other thing, though, that, that kind of leans into a little bit, and I'm talking about, I guess, people who just – get something at the health food shop or the supermarket, as you said, is also that safety side of things. Mm, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's quite possible that if we're not 
strain specific, there, there can actually be some safety issues. And I came across a uh, letter that was published last month in regards to, um, I'll just re- read it out. You know, it's just very brief. An unusual case of acute cholecystitis caused by lactobacillus paracasei. So, look, paracasei is a relatively common form of lactobacillus. Um, mm-hmm. It goes on to say, look, lactobacilli species are gram-positive rods that produce lactic acid, which is commonly found in the floor of the oral GI, T, and female genital tracts. Paracasei is widely used in dairy food fermentation and probiotic cultures and is known to promote healthy GIT by improving immune function and preventing pathogenic microbes from colonizing the GIT. However, and this is the bit that I found important, however, studies have also shown that lactobacillus species can also be the causative agent for bacterial endocarditis, meningitis, peritonitis, pancreatitis, and possibly cholecystitis. In this case, lactobacillus paracasei was the main pathogen that induced acute cholecystitis. So once again, by by you know knowing what sorts of probiotics can do different things, when you get a really well researched strain one, they'll usually have safety data on it. Mm-hmm. And once again that gives us a surety when prescribing that we are going to see a benefit and not necessarily a negative because I think otherwise the assumption is probiotics all safe. But, you know, I'm not sure about you. I I don't know whether I'd classify as safe if it's going to induce acute cholecystitis. That's uh, one heck of a painful problem that you don't really want. No, and I think, you know, even you reading that out, they didn't talk about the strain level. Like this is where we're at. The strain conversation is, is still mm. missing from scientific literature sometimes. Like sometimes you mm. have to look up a paper and figure out, you know, like what was the dose and how long did they give it for, yada, yada. But you mm. have to go like hunting in the study design or mm. the methods to actually figure out what's the exact strain that got used. And I think it's this whole conversation that we're having of like as a profession, as an industry, we're mm. still trying to get, you know, which is just because we've figured out how important strain specificity is and mm. now we get to build that that body of evidence was still, you know, it, it's still not included in every single resource, no. let alone on the label of every single probiotic bottle. And so I think the more and more we have this conversation, we raise awareness, and then I think it can be driven by the practitioners, the members members of mm. the public going back to companies or going back to resources like this and being like, hey, you didn't you didn't say what the strain was. Like let's have mm. the whole conversation here. Like it, it, it's mm-hmm. so, so important. And, and that, you know, really does, you know, as I said, this was just written as a letter as such. You know, it's not a study. But, you know, when, when to get – now we've got our head around the concept of strain specificity, really knowing what strain of lactobacilli paracasei is important, mm-hmm. you know, but because if everything was at least defined on strain level, it is also, you know – possible to know because you'll notice that in that letter they did mention, you know, endocarditis, meningitis, pancreatitis. Mm. You know, are there certain strains in paracasei that will do that? And would that then possibly impact the strains that are used in the dairy industry? Because as I said, it's used, you know, paracasei is often found in yogurts and things like that as well. Mm. And I just think that, you know, by not knowing the strain, there is, you know, so much I'll say uncertainty in what people are prescribing and the p- possible outcomes, health outcomes, when, when you're not getting strain specificity. 
Mm. Yeah, that's it. That's so it. And it's, yes, I feel now that we're into it, I'm like, yeah, actually I'm like really passionate about this topic, you know, because I feel like it's easy mm. and, and most mm. good quality probiotic bottles, companies, you mm. know, that are following mm. these kind of ISAP guidelines, they will have the strain mm. on there every time. So it's such an easy okay. win when you can just go mm. with a bottle, whether you're picking it mm. up at a shop or whether you're prescribing it as a practitioner that is just listing the strain on the bottle, you know that mm. they have had this whole conversation. They know it's important, you know, and they, they have that body of evidence. Like that just provides so, mm. it's so assuring to me as mm. a practitioner. I can be like, great. I know, you know, if we go back through this this checklist as a bit of a summary, if someone is listing a strain on their bottle, then they've probably got a mm. good scientific base behind it. They know the effective uh-huh. dose and how long you need to take it for. They yep. know the benefit and they're listing the indications for it. And exactly to your point with the letter, they know that it's safe. And then mm. in summation of that, they've then labelled their product properly, which yep. is what we're really wanting. <laughs> oh, mm. absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. So, yeah, I think that probably sums that up for us. That's all we've got time for today. It's such an interesting topic and I think it's one that we've just got to keep having while we keep kind of driving this important point home, you know, to the whole profession Mm. and and to the wider public as well. So thank you, Paul, for sharing all of that info with us. Everyone listening, you know, tune in next week or next podcast that that we bring out. Keep an eye out for more podcasts. We're going to be taking a deeper look at topics that relate to both our kind of natural health industry and our profession itself, but then, of course, you know, different medicines that can have a positive impact on people's health, just like strain-specific probiotics can have. (laughs) so thank you very much paul thank you so much claire thanks for uh, the chat good chat and uh, you know i've been big on strain specificity for a while but i'm feeling even more inspired after our talk today me too (laughs) Uh, and thank you everyone for listening we'll talk to you next time Uh, goodbye for now to continue the conversation or find out more about our products and educational resources please head to biopractica.com.au Biopractica, empowering healthcare professionals.